Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Amen. Amen. Amazing. 18 years ago, we had that encounter, May 8th of 2005. So this May, next month, will be 18 years since we had that shift. And so many of you were part of that and uh, what the Lord did. And uh, here we are 18 years later, and we're still running with the House of Prayer vision, House of Prayer model. I love the fact that, like you said earlier, we gathered together. There's about 10, 11 different ministers that gathered together once a quarter. And we're endeavoring to do, get together uh, every other month for breakfast as well, these ministers. And so the Lord is doing something beautiful. And the reason why that's important is because what the scripture says about the power of corporate prayer. One will put a thousand to flight and two will put 10,000 to flight. And I think this is an area of prayer that is so neglected in the body of Christ. And I don't think it's neglected on purpose. I think it's neglected because of a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. We just don't realize the importance of what happens in the spirit realm, what happens to the spiritual atmosphere when the body of Christ is willing to come together and lay down its, you know, there's differences, yes, but they're minute differences. Now, we, we, we can't come into agreement with any church or any ministry or any denomination that does not accept Christ as the only way to salvation. But if my brother doesn't believe in speaking in tongues, then this one does, I can I I still pray with my brother and my sister. Amen? If my brother likes to go, ah, hallelujah, and that's the way they preach, that's okay with me. You know? There's nothing wrong with that. And so we've got to learn to come together and let go of these small little differences because these small differences, these small differences are actually darts of the enemy that have infected us and caused us to be divided. We don't realize the power that we have. Jesus said, behold, all authority has been given to me here on earth and in heaven. Now, therefore, you go. He didn't say, okay, Peter, you take your Pentecostal movement, and you, John, take your Baptist movement. He says, no, you guys go. And the spirit of agreement in prayer, I believe, is the missing link in power to our cities. Psalm 133, we know the story. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil. That's the anointing. It's the oil that flows from the head to the uttermost parts of the garments. And then the Lord says, there, in the place of unity, he commands the blessing. There's only two cities in the entire Bible. Only two cities in the entire Bible that God says to pray for those two cities. Only two cities. The first city is your city where you live. That's what the Lord told Jeremiah. Tell the people to pray for the city that you're in, for its well-being, that it would prosper and that it may be good for you. He didn't mention the name of the city. He says, even though we know it's Babylon, but he did say, pray for the city where you are in exile at, and the other city is Jerusalem. Those are the only two cities that we're called in Scripture to pray for. And here we are in central Florida there's probably over a thousand churches in Orlando in such very little unity. Can you imagine us gathering together and praying? Can you imagine, can you imagine gathering together, not, not for the sake of hearing some preacher preach. I think sometimes we all, we've all been preached out. 
We know the word. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the importance of preaching and teaching. We need that, of course. But, you know, one of the reasons why I don't like to go to so many Orange County prayer breakfast meetings, because the only prayer they do is a prayer for the breakfast. That's it. You know, a lot of these ministries that supposedly these unity in the body and, and th there's very little prayer of anything. It's always about here, here's my business card, how many people in your church, all that kind of stuff. I'm not interested in that. I just want kingdom purposes. I'm 62 years old. I don't have time to waste. I don't have time to waste my life on, you know, how many come in your church and, you know, what, how is your music? It's time to really see what the Lord is doing. And I believe that as the day of the Lord approaches closer, kingdom matters become clearer. I really believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit is revealing kingdom matters because we begin to realize, all right, we've been doing this for years now, and what really matters? And the, what matters is what's on the heart of the Father. What's on the heart of Jesus? What's on the heart of the Holy Spirit? Why should Israel be important to you? It should be important to you because it's important to God. That in itself <laughs> settles it. <laughs> that in itself settles it. What's important to God should be important to you and to me. Now let me tell you a story. When I first got saved in 1981, I was serving you know, in the U.S. military. You all know the story. I'm the USS Kid, DDG 993. Very good. Everybody knows it, you know. But... Um, I've told my testimony several times. Roy Shipman, you know, the one that brought me to the Lord. But for some reason, Joanne's laughing. For some reason, for some reason, as a baby newborn Christian, I was gripped with a desire for Israel. So much so that I even thought I would be a missionary in Israel at one time. And, and because I was in the military stationed all three years I was one year on land and through, while I was waiting for our ship to be commissioned. Um, and three years I was at sea. And all those three years I did not have a home church because I was always at sea. And so what I was able to do, and plus from day one, you guys know my testimony, from day one, I've been a tither. I believe, that's why I love what you shared today, the importance of really looking to the Lord and trusting the Lord. If you can't trust the Lord when it's green, how are you going to trust the Lord when it's dry? Hello? Amen? You can't trust the Lord when things are okay. How are you going to trust the Lord when things are shaken? Anyway, that's another sermon for another time. But I started tithing from day one. And because I didn't have a home church, I tithed to three ministries. Kenneth Hagin Ministries, which impacted my life. Three men have impacted my life the most. Kenneth Hagin, Benny Hinn, Mike Bickle. Those three men have impacted my life. They have formed and shaped the, the man that I am today. But I began tithing to Kenneth Hagin Ministries the friends of Israel, and Jews for Jesus. From day one, I've had a heart for the people of Israel. Don't know why the Lord put that on my heart. I didn't know why back then. Now I see the significance because Israel matters. So my point here in the next, what? It's the uh, next 30 minutes or so, 40 minutes or so. My goal here is to show us scripturally why this Isaiah 62 fast is taking place. But before I get into the biblical reasons why, Let's look at some actual reasons that are taking place right now in Israel. There are five major things that Israel is facing right now. And they're saying that these five things are going to come to a climax between now and May. Five major reasons. One reason is that because there could be massive civil, actual civil war. 
They had been, they had been pro protesting the, the government of Netanyahu, sometimes 500,000 people daily for several weeks. Protest, violence in the streets because of, of a judicial change that's about to take place. So great was the uprising that Netanyahu had to come and say, oh, okay, we're going to table this for right now. So that's one reason. Massive possible actual civil war taking up arms against one another. That's taking place right now. And they're saying that can come, that it's going to be back on the table next month in the month of May. Number two, the Palestinian young people are rising up because this, the Jewish settlements are growing at a more rapid number than what was expected, which means that there's less room for the Palestinians. And so these Palestinian youth are rising up with great violence. That's happening right now as well. Number three, they were trying to pass a law in Israel that made it illegal to mention Jesus in public. And they were trying to pass a law to make it illegal to have any kind of ministry that was Christian, whether online, messianic congregations. I mean, it was a radical, radical uh, a policy that was being brought forth. Thank God, Netanyahu, he nixed it. So that looks like that's completely off the table and won't even come on. The fourth one is that there have been, you've probably seen the news, that Israel's terrorists, all the terrorist groups surrounding all of Israel have been releasing rockets by the hundreds. So we have, we have the Iranians that are giving, giving support to all these proxies, all these different terrorist groups. And so they're being attacked. Israel is being attacked from the north, south, east, and the west right now. And number, four, number five, here's a big one. They're saying that by next month, Iran will have enough uranium to have their nuclear bomb. By next month. And we know what Iran has said. Iran is ancient Persia. All you have to do is look up the ancient Persian spirit, which was the spirit of Amalek. And we can see the, the continual generational hatred that has been there from day one, from the very, very beginning. Remember the first war, the first attack that Israel dealt with in Exodus 17 was the Amalekites. It's that same spirit. And the Lord said from day one, until he, the Lord says, I will have war with Amalek until it's wiped out completely. That's why God, when, when King Saul came on the scene, the very first thing the Lord told through the prophet Samuel, make sure you tell Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. God's hatred of the anti-Semitic spirit that has been in operation from day one. Now we know that the anti-Semitic anti spirit was birthed in the garden. You're, you're going to have enmity between your seed, my seed, and your seed. So from day one, there's been that spirit of enmity. It's been passed down and manifested in many different ways. Haman was also an Amicalite. Passed down over and over. That same spirit was passed down. And so we see clearly that Persia, ancient Persia, which was influenced by the spirit, has still this hatred to destroy Israel. They have vowed to wipe off Israel the moment they get the nuclear bomb. So for all these reasons, and on top of that, May 14th of next month, the 75th anniversary of Israel. And they're not happy about that in the Muslim world. So because of those reasons, Mike has called this prayer, this solemn assembly prayer. Now at first he wasn't going to, he didn't tell the whole story there. We had him on a, a Zoom session uh, just last week, on last Monday night. 
And uh, originally they were going to just fast and pray because it was 24 years. Can you imagine that? The music has not stopped for one second. Go to ihopkc.org. ihopkc. You'll see 24-hour prayer continually happening. It has not stopped for one second in 24 years. It's incredible. Now, where is that biblically found? It's found in the tabernacle of David. David had it for 33 years, nonstop, day and night worship. He had a staff, he had a staff of over 10,000 people that helped operate and function the tabernacle of David. 10,000 staff members. Every time he went out to war, what did David do? He brought in the spoils. What was the spoils for? To provide for the priests and the Levites, the singers and the musicians. It's biblical with this house of prayer model that the Lord is doing. And I believe that the Lord is raising up so much prayer and focusing prayer because that's going to prepare the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get back to the issue of Israel now. Is it, should it be something that we should be gripped about? We're Gentile believers. How many of you, maybe some of you have Jewish blood. Anyone have Jewish blood in here? Raise your hand. Okay, real high. Very few of you. Okay, I have probably have some Jewish blood. I didn't realize it. The name Sarmiento was a name that Jewish people, when they fled Israel, they fled to Spain. My family is from Spain, and they took the last name Sarmiento. You know what Sarmiento means? A piece of the branch. Guess what? We're all Sarmientos in here. Hallelujah. <laughs> he is the vine, and we're the branches. Hallelujah. In the Spanish Bible, it says, He is the vine, y nosotros somos Sarmientos. We're Sarmientos. Hallelujah. I like that. My name is in the Bible. I receive that in the name of Jesus. But it is biblical, and we're going to see why it's important to pray for Israel. We have to understand that on the day of Pentecost, how many were filled? 120, right? How many of the 120 were Jews? All 120. How many of the 5,000 that were saved because Peter preached were Jews? All 5,000. The gospel from the very beginning, from day one, is a Jewish gospel. I got news for you. When Jesus returns, he's a Jewish man. He's got flesh and blood. He's not coming back in some spiritual, see-through body. He's got a glorified body. But the one that's returning, he is called the son of David. He's called the son of David. He's a man. He's called the son of God and the son of man and the son of David. He's a human being. All 12 apostles. The foundations of the church, the foundation of the new Jerusalem, and the 12 gates named after the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. This whole thing is about a Jewish man and a Jewish message. So why would God be opposed or why would the Lord not put it upon the heart of a Gentile people to pray for Israel if the city is called the New Jerusalem, if the foundation of the city and the, the city gates are all Jewish in essence? Everything about the gospel. The Bible says salvation is of the Jews. Jesus says, go into all the world, but he first said, tarry in Jerusalem. And then you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem first, Judea second, Samaria third, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. It wasn't until 10 years after Pentecost that the gospel went to the Gentile world in Acts chapter 10. So the gospel is very much Jewish. 
Thank God that according to scriptures, you and I are Jews. We forget that. The Bible makes it very, very clear. A true Jew is not someone who's been circumcised in the flesh. The true Jew is the one that's been circumcised of heart. Every single one of us, according to Galatians 3, we are all sons of Abraham. Both Jew and Gentile. The mystery of God is that God takes two and make one. He takes a man and a woman, makes them one. He takes God and man and makes them one. He makes heaven and earth and makes it one. And he takes Jew and Gentile and makes them one. That's the mystery of God. The mystery of God is union. The mystery of God is oneness. The mystery of God is taking things that have been divided. Paul even says, you know, that we were enemies of God. We were enemies of the, of the call of God. We were enemies of the, of, the, of the inheritance of Israel. But then all of a sudden when the cross came, he brought the two and made the two one. This is why... We need to be supportive of Israel because they are our brothers. If it wasn't for Israel, the guardians of the faith. Think about that. They have guarded the faith for 4,000 years. They were faithful. Well, actually, they've been faithful for 6,000 years because God has always had a remnant of Israel. But for 4,000 years, Israel was the guardian of of the law, the guardian of the word, the guardian of the knowledge of God. And just because a few people in Israel, a, a, a few leaders in Israel reject the Messiah, does that mean that God is done with Israel? There's a theology, a doctrine out there in much of the church that is so hellish. It's so diabolic. It's called replacement theology. The theology that teaches that God is done with Israel and that God is primarily working with the Gentile world. That is not biblical, beloved. It is clear in Scripture that God loves Israel. And the Bible is very clear. All Israel will be saved. So let me give you some foundation. Number one, go with me to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. Well, I like they got a clock there. And look with me, if you will, at verse number 12. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You're the great teacher. You are the great revelator. And without you, we can do nothing. Holy Spirit, open eyes, open ears, touch hearts. Lord, let me say only, only what is in agreement with your word. Father, anything that is not in Scripture, Lord, I pray that it would be absent from my lips. And I thank you, Father, that your word says that when the comforter comes... He will teach you new things, but he'll remind you of things that you have already spoken and said before. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, I pray. Help us to be open. I know this may be new to some, some people here today, but I pray that, Holy Spirit, you speak truth. Because truth sets free in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Psalm 132, look with me if you will, at verse 11. I'm just going to give you what the word says about Israel. All right? About Israel. Psalm 132, verse 11. Let me show you how God feels about Israel. Verse 11 says this. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. When God swears something, he keeps it. He keeps it. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. He says, I will set up your throne, the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant 
and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons shall also sit upon your throne. For how long? Forever. Now God knew that there would be a batch of good kings and bad kings. Kings that would fall into idolatry and kings like David, kings like Jehoshaphat, kings like Hezekiah, kings like Jehu, kings like uh, um, uh, Josiah. There was these good kings. And many of these kings, they loved the Lord. And yet, yet, yet some of the people would be in idolatry. But as long as the king had set his heart towards the Lord, the Lord's blessings would be upon Israel. But there was also a pronouncement of a curse. If you turn from, from, from following me and serving my ways, then these things will happen. Well, what happened to Israel? We know that eventually the, the Judean king line stopped after the Babylonian deportation, when the Babylonians came in. We know that's what happened. And as a result of that, there hasn't been any king, Israeli king, on the throne. But we have to remember this. Before there was a one king on the throne, before Saul came on the scene, there was already a king on the throne. His name is Jesus. You see, the promise that God made to David was first a promise made to Jesus. The promise was to Jesus primarily. Keep your finger there and go with me to Psalm 2. Go with me to Psalm 2. I'm giving the foundation of why the significance of Israel and the significance of Jerusalem. Psalm 2. This is taking place right now. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves. The rulers take counsel together. All this stuff, transgenderism stuff, and what is acceptable and what is you know, right, what is, the, what is the correct global worldview, that's the counsel of the nations. They take, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one. Who is the anointed one? That's, the, that's Jesus. Against the Lord and the anointed one. And they say, let us cast or let us break their bond in pieces. Let us cast away their cords. Whose bond? Whose cords? The cord in the bond of holiness. The cord in the bond of covenant. The cord in the bond of God saying, this is righteous and this is iniquity. And see, the world says, well, who are you to tell us what is righteousness? Who are you to tell us what is holy? Who are you to tell us what is morality? And the world looks at that as cords and bondages. And the world says, we want to break ourselves from these cords. We want to, re we want to break ourselves from the, from the doctrines of Holy Scripture. We, we, don't, we don't believe in this Jesus that you Christians believe in. And this is why this pressure is rising up against the body of Christ. Because a true church is going to rise up and say, no, sin is sin and holiness is holiness. And because of that, that's going to open the door to tribulation and persecution. So get ready to be canceled by social media. And don't worry about it because God is still your friend. He still likes you. They may dislike you, but he'll always like you. Jesus says this. 
Oh, the Bible says this in verse number 7. Jump down to verse 7. Well, we know that in verse 4, God laughs at their plans. He goes, ha, I'm not worried about this. Why? Look at verse 6. Because I've set my king. I've set my king on my holy hill, Zion. Zion is used interchangeably for Jerusalem. I've set my king on Zion. So the Lord makes it very, very clear He's got a king already established. That king was established before the foundations of the world. Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the first war between Satan and Satan's seed and God's seed. The seed of this is before Abraham. This is before Moses. This is before any king. This is before David. God says, I've set enmity between your seed and my son's seed. This is the seed. This is my king. This is my son. This is the redeemer. Satan had the blind. He was blinded to the plan of God. He didn't understand the plan of God. He knew that there would be a seed, but what does that mean? A seed, okay, is a seed, is a seed, or oh, let's kill Abel. Maybe Abel's a seed. Oh, let's kill Noah. Maybe Noah's a seed. He had no clue who the seed was. The Bible says, had the princes and the rulers of the air had known that if they would have crucified their Lord, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. It was a mystery. Redemption was a mystery. Satan was blinded. He was sucker punched by God. Hallelujah. He was blinded to the plan of God. It's been a mystery the whole time. God always said, I know man's going to, Jesus, I know man's going to fail. And so we got to come up with the plan. You become a man. You become a king. You'll be the king. And then because you're holy, you'll never fail. That means the family line through you. I'll transfer your success. It'll be their success. Your righteousness will be their righteousness. Your obedience will be their obedience. Your faith will be their faith. And therefore, man can qualify in my plan because you've been faithful and you will be a representative for all of humanity. That's the plan of God. So from the very beginning, God had a plan. He had a king. Continue back in Psalm 132. Verse 11. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. And he says there, their sons also shall sit upon the throne forevermore. Watch this, verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He didn't choose Washington, D.C. didn't choose Orlando. didn't choose Moscow, Shanghai, Tokyo. He chose Zion. Why Zion? I don't know why. That's his prerogative. It could have been, listen, he, if, if the Lord would have chosen Moscow, the same hatred that Israel ha, the world has for Israel, for Jerusalem today, that same hatred would have been transferred over to Moscow. If the Lord would have chosen New York, that same hatred against Jerusalem today would be against New York. Why? Because where, whatever city God chooses, he says, that's my place where I will abide forever. And Satan knows if I can get rid of it. Satan knows if I can destroy Jerusalem, then the Lord cannot return back. He knows that. He knows if, if there's no Jerusalem, if I can put this anti-Semitic spirit in the Persian people against Jerusalem, if I can wipe out Israel, 
then Jesus can't come back because he says Jerusalem is the city of the great king in Matthew 5.35. Jerusalem is the city of the king. When Jesus returns, beloved, we're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming to us. I mean, we're going to go to heaven for a short period of time. When you, if you die before the Lord's return, you'll go to heaven intermediate period. But when it's time to come back and establish his kingdom, God's going to say to all these people, all right, boys, let's go. It's time to go home. And home is heaven coming to earth. Jesus is going to establish a throne on the earth. On the earth. This is why there's such hatred by the Muslim world. Because these two brothers just don't get along. But God's going to heal those two brothers' relationships. Isaac and Ishmael will be healed. And they will bless one another. So this hatred is because God has chosen Zion. He says, I have desired it for my dwelling place. Look what he says there, verse 14. This is my resting place. Forever. Forever doesn't mean, oh, until, well, in case you guys mess up, and then if you mess up, I, I stop, I change my mind. It means forever. God knew man would mess up. So he had a plan so that forever could be forever. God says, my resting place there in Zion will be forever. He says, here I will dwell in it because I desire it. If for any reason why we should support Israel... If for any reason why we should pray for Israel is because God desires it. And because God has chosen it. And because God will dwell there forever. That's one reason. Another reason why it's important to pray for the city and why we should support Israel is found in Romans chapter 11. Go to Romans chapter 11 for a moment. Romans in chapter 11. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to grip many of us here tonight, today, with a spirit of intercession to cry out. I know that Pastor George and his team, you guys are going to become a hub, right? Have you guys already signed up? Good. So they're already a hub. And we're talking about doing some things possibly together during the 21 days. Romans in chapter 11. Look at verse number 1. Now here's the great Apostle Paul. Look at what he says, how God feels... Now, if anyone could discern the mind and the will of God, it would be the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I would think that he would have a heartbeat on what God feels about, or a pulse on the heartbeat of God regarding how God feels about Israel. This man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he says this, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah? How Elijah was pleading with God against his own people saying, Lord, I'm the only one. All the, all the, all the, all the, they've all killed your prophets. They've tore down your altars. I'm the only one left. Everyone is seeking my life. Woe is me. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
Even so, watch this. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant, a remnant of who? Of Jews. Israelites. Even to this point, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Beloved, it is clear all throughout church history for the last 2,000 years, there's always been a remnant of Jewish people. Oh, you mean to tell me that because some people in leadership, in the Sanhedrin, in the government of Israel, the religious leaders, you mean to tell me because they rejected Messiah? That God is going to cut off all of Israel because of a mistake and because of the rejection of a few? Absolutely not. Any Jew today, right now, any Jew today that does not believe in Christ as Messiah, anybody, they can all get saved if they want. Any Jew can get saved today. When the Lord says partial blindness has happened to Israel, he's not talking about that all the people of Israel are blind. He's talking about national Israel. He's talking about the state of Israel. He's talking about the nation coming to the place where the entire nation says yes to Messiah. I mean, there's not a nation on the earth today that's doing that. There's not a nation right now. America's far from that. But the blessings of God are upon us because of our faith in Messiah. How much more would the Messianic believers in Israel be blessed because they have the bloodline, they have the Messianic promises, and they have faith in Messiah. This is a diabolic, satanic, hellish doctrine that has corrupted many in the church that says God has replaced Israel with the Gentile church. You just don't find it anywhere in Scripture. It's not biblical. It's just not found in Scriptures anywhere. Go to Matthew 23 and verse 39. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 23 and 39. Here's another reason why we need... I'll tell you what, before you can go there, go to Acts 3. Let's go to Acts 3. Here's another reason why we need to pray for Israel. Acts 3 says this. Verse number 19. 3 and verse 19. Well, I'll tell you, we'll go to verse 17. Now remember, this is just after Pentecost. A miracle just took place in the temple. A lame man was healed. People are asking questions, wondering what's going on. Peter has an opportunity to preach. He has got another massive crowd in front of him. Verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as also your rulers. But those things which God had foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Now look at this, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Now who is he speaking to? Think about this. Who is Peter preaching to? Jews. He, he makes reference, I know you did it in ignorance. I know that you and your rulers rejected the Messiah. But you know what? You don't realize it. It was according to the plan of God anyway. It had to be fulfilled. Messiah would have to suffer. He says, therefore, here's what you can do in the meantime. Watch this. Repent. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out. For what purpose? So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's awakenings. 
That's kisses of God. That's moves of the Holy Spirit. Miracles breaking out. Healing taking, take, taking place. And so God blesses us with moves of the Holy Spirit. Charismatic movement. Jesus movement. And, uh, uh, whatever, the healing revival. Those are kisses of God. That's times of refreshing. But that's not the end. That's not the fullness. That's only a seed. The seed is meant to show us there's a greater harvest coming. What is the greater harvest? The greater harvest is found right here. Look what it says here. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and, and that he may send Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. But how can Jesus come unless something takes place first? And that he may send Jesus Christ, watch this, who was preached before you and whom the heaven must receive. The word receive means to retain, hold back. The heavens must retain him. The heavens must hold him back. Why? The heavens must re retain him, must hold him back until what? Until what? Until the times of the restoration of all things. Jesus is held back. He's held back until there's a time. What is the time? What is the thing that's going to mark that we know this is the time? There's something that has to take place before Jesus can come back because he's held back. But until then, he's giving us kisses, giving us revivals, breaking out of the Holy Spirit, movements here and there, the revival movement, the healing movement, the, the, the Holy Ghost movement. So God gives us these, rest, these times of refreshing. But we don't want refreshing only. We want restoration. Hello? I don't just want refreshing. I thank God for refreshing. But refreshing only, watch this, refreshing just shoots me up a little bit. Until the next refreshing. Until the next refreshing. But I know that the more refreshings I get, I know there's a fullness coming. There's something better coming. The refreshing keeps the goal in front of me. Are you hearing me, church? That's what the refreshing does. The refreshing helps us to see the greater picture. And the greater picture is this. Messiah coming and starting his kingdom. It's a millennial kingdom, beloved. When everything is restored, that's when I'm going to have my big pet lion. And not be afraid of my lion. I'm going to put my head in its mouth. And say, you can't bite me because you are tamed in Jesus' name. You think I'm joking? You watch when you see me in heaven, walk around with my lion. It'll be the most beautiful lion after the king of kings and the lord of lords, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm going to have a beautiful lion. And you can come visit me when I rule in Maui. You think I'm joking, right? <laughs> you remember that, right? It was a good time, right? Matthew 23, look at verse 39. Matthew in chapter 23. I'm just giving you scriptures how it views Israel. Not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. How does heaven see the Jewish people? 
Now, I know they had their issues, but so do you. <laughs> and so do I. <laughs> we all have issues. Matthew 23, look at verse 39. We'll go to verse 37 first. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, this is when Jesus is riding into the city. All right? This is when he weeps over the city. He looks over the city. You know, he's coming into the city. This is Passion Week. This is Sunday of Passion Week. Riding on a donkey. You know, the reason why he rode a donkey, not a horse, is because a horse symbolizes war. But he's coming as a man of peace. So he's riding a donkey, the foal of a colt. And he's riding humbly, fulfilling scripture, the book of Zechariah. And then it says this, oh, Jerusalem. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Anyone? All right. Well, two or three of you, four or five of you. When you, come up, when you come up the hill of the Mount of Olives and you crest the hill, that, that mountain, and then you see the western side, the eastern side of the city. And that's what he saw. He saw the city gate from which the king, I mean, the, the priest and the king would enter. He saw, he saw the city and he began to weep over the city. Climbs over, coming from Bethany, because he was in Bethany, comes from Bethany, reaches the top of the mountain, and then when he reaches the top of the mountain, he sees a beautiful city. And the moment he saw the city, he begins to weep. He mourns, he weeps over the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you knew what is today, what could happen today, but you've been blinded by it. And so he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. Look at verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. He's prophesying about what would take place 37 years away, 70 AD. See, your house is left to you desolate. Ever since then, until 1948, they, had, they didn't have a home. The Jews were scattered all over the place until 1948, the miracle of 1948. See, your house is left to you desolate. But I say to you, watch this, you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> the Lord is prophesying that there's a day coming when their eyes are opened and they realize, oh my goodness, we crucified our Messiah 2,000 years ago. Jesus is saying, I can't, this is, listen, this is almost like swearing. This is a vow. He is making a vow here. I will not come back until you welcome me back. I will not be rejected a second time. I will not have to pay a price again for a second time. The blood is once and for all. So I will not come back a second time until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is why, this is why we have to pray for Israel. Because they're holding Jesus back. <laughs> Come on, guys, open your eyes. We got to pray for them. So that they would repent. That they would see, oh my goodness, Jesus is Messiah. Because once they get it right, we get it all right. Israel is the key. 
Watch this. Israel is a key to global peace. Israel is a, pe- is a, is a key to Jesus coming back. And Israel is a key for the, for the kingdom to be established on the earth. Israel is the key. And that's why you and I need to pray. How many of us can honestly say, I don't want you to show me your hands. How many of us can honestly say, we pray for Israel regularly? How many prayer sets does your church have and the church down the road specifically for Israel? If we know that he will not come back because the heavens will not allow him to go come back and he's made a vow that he won't come back until they open their eyes, shouldn't we be praying that their eyes be opened? For the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ should shine upon them. But the Bible also tells us to pray, open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Why? That they also might receive an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in Christ. Now we pray that for the Gentile world, but we should be praying that for those who had the covenants who guarded the faith from the very beginning. If it wasn't for them, you and I wouldn't be saved today. Jesus said, I will not come back until Jerusalem welcomes me back. Go with me to Jeremiah. I'm almost done here. If I can have someone go to the keyboard... Or the worship team, that's fine. Go with me to Jeremiah. I mean, this passage right here is the nail on the head. Right here, what we're going to read right now. I don't see how anybody in their rightful mind can say that God is done with Israel. Jeremiah 31, look what Jeremiah says. And then we're going to pray. How many of you... How many of you want the Lord to give you a burden to pray for Israel? Raise your hands. Oh, that's great. That's what I came for you. <laughs> because I want that as well. I want more of that. Jeremiah 31. Look at verse number. Look at verse 11. Jeremiah 31 and verse 11. Here's what the Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob has ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Verse 12, Therefore they shall come and they shall sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and new wine and oil. This is all about restoration. The young of the flocks and the herd. Their soul shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Verse 13, then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together. Why? Because I'm going to turn their mourning to joy and I will comfort them. I will make them rejoice rather than sorrow and I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance. There'll be a priesthood in Israel that will love Messiah. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Now look at this. Jump down, if you will, to verse number Where am I? I lost my place. There it is. Jump down to verse 31. 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of who? Israel. 
and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them, I led them by my hand out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. This is salvation. I'll put it in their minds. I'll put my law in their hearts. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. No more shall every man teach. No more shall every man teach his neighbor. And every man his brother saying, know the Lord. Because they will all know me. Hello? <laughs> all of Israel will know the Lord. He says, they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Now watch this. And I will forgive their iniquity. There's only one sin that cannot be forgiven. And that's a blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does it say, if you reject Messiah, th that you can't be forgiven of it and come back to faith. Now if you, have, if you continually reject Messiah, that's equivalent to the, the sin of, against the Holy Spirit. That to me is the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But how many people said no to the gospel the first time they heard it? I know I did. I was forgiven. So just because Israel rejected their Messiah doesn't mean that they can't return to the Lord. Because there's only one sin that's unforgivable. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Now here it is. Now this is the clincher right here. For thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day. I'm the one that gives the moon and the stars their light by night. I'm the one who disturbs the sea. Its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And then he says this. If those ordinances depart from me, from before me, says the Lord, then and only then will the seed of Israel cease to exist from before me as a nation forever. God says... Okay, I challenge you, anybody. If anybody can, you hate Israel? Okay, if you can destroy the sun, the moon, and the stars, then, I'll, then I will hate Israel too. But if you, if, as long as the sun and the moon and the stars exist, that's a witness that I favor Israel. That I love Israel. It's an eternal covenant. This covenant cannot be broken because the sun, moon, and stars will exist for all of eternity. This is why... When the Bible says that when Jesus returns, what is, what's affected? What is affected in the sky? Sun, moon, and stars. That should scare the gypsies out of Israel because they know if the sun, moon, and stars are affected, which speak of us, that's a testimony to us. If that's being shaken, that means God is doing something. And we know that before Jesus returns, the sun is turned to black as sackcloth. The moon is turned to red as blood. And the constellations, the stars are shaken in the heavens above. That will be a warning to Israel. They will know what that means. God says, as long as those things exist in the heavens, then the seed of Israel will never cease. Let me show you one more. Chapter 33. And then we'll close with that, yes. Isaiah 33. I mean, uh, Jeremiah 33, look at verse number 20. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, 
so that there'll be no more day and no more night in their season. Then, and only then, will my covenant also be broken with David. <laughs> Hello? Then and only then, he says, will I allow my covenant, my promise that I swore to David to be broken. But as long as the sun is there and the moon is there, guess what? David will always be there. David is symbolic, representative of Israel. He says, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. In other words, God is saying, if you can break the covenant with the sun, moon, and the stars, then the Father says, I'll break my covenant with my son, Jesus. That ain't going to happen, beloved. And then he says, my servant also, and so that he shall not serve as son to reign on his throne. And I will break my covenant with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. This is a settled deal, beloved. And so it's because of these reasons, because God has an eternal covenant with Israel. God has a covenant with David. God has a covenant with Levi. God has a covenant with Abraham. He says to Abraham, Abraham, those who bless you, I bless. Those who curse you, they'll be cursed. I, Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Over and over again. Jerusalem, the city of the great king, Matthew 5, 35. I will not come back again to Jerusalem until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 39. Over and over again. All of Israel be saved, Romans chapter 11 says. God is not done with Israel. God has not cast away his people. It's impossible for God to be separated from Israel. <clears throat> and as I close, Isaiah 62. And this is why you and I must pray for Israel. I believe this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is a command from the Lord. And I think that's, I think including myself, we all need to repent. We need to repent for not being a people. For, you know, and, and it's probably been ignorance. We're just not aware of it. But this is critical because Jesus cannot come back until Israel's eyes are opened. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and verse 7. We have this scripture on our wall. You walk in and we just we did a brand new wall thing there. And it's big in big letters. Isaiah 62 and verse 6 and 7. This is the burning desire of the Lord. And look what he said. This is, this is regarding you and me. Look at verse 1, first of all. Verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. God says, I will not rest I will not hold my peace. In other words, I will not be settled in here until something happens. Until the promise for Jerusalem is fulfilled. This is what burns in God's heart. He says, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. That's not happening today. Did you know that Jerusalem, and Israel, not just Jerusalem, but Tel Aviv is the capital of the homosexual community. Did you know that just... Just in, in, in the northern country, because I've been there in the northern country, it is the capital of the New Age movement. Sexual perversion coming out of the land. False, false idolatry coming out of the land. False religious beliefs 
coming out of the land of Israel. And God says, they will be forgiven of this. This is why we need to pray for them. Their eyes are blinded. For their sake, I will not hold my peace until her righteousness becomes bright as the morning. Her salvation like the lamp that burns. The Gentiles, eventually the Gentiles, will see your righteousness. All the kings of the earth, they will see your glory. You Israel, you Jerusalem will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. You'll be a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You will no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be called desolate, because you shall be called Hephzibah. You shall be Beulah. In other words, you will be married to the Lord because He delights in you. And then He says to you and me, and I close with this. Don't worry, Israel. I've set watchmen on your walls. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. And they are going to get the burden that I got. I got no rest. I got no peace. And so guess what? They're not going to rest. And they're not going to have any peace. And so they'll never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord. How many of you make mention of the Lord? Two or three of you. How many of you make mention of the Lord? How many of you call on the name of the Lord? Well, that God is speaking to you right now. You who make mention of the Lord. Give him no rest. Don't be silent. Until when? Until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. How can we say God is done with Israel if God has no rest and God has said, I will not rest. And so because I need help, I need partners. So God says, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need, I need you to pray for Israel. I want to come back, but the heavens are holding me back. I want to establish the kingdom, but I can't until they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Beloved, God has anointed you. God has anointed me to pray for Israel. I'm going to challenge your church to have a weekly time of prayer just for Israel, just for Jerusalem. You want your families to be saved? Pray for the family of Israel. You pray for Israel and you will see what God will do for your family. May they prosper who love you. God will, and prosper doesn't just mean money. We're, we always think about money. I'm talking about prospering spiritually, prospering in our family, prospering in our marriages, prospering in our relationships, prospering in our minds. Beloved, we need to prosper in this area by looking to the Lord. Let's all stand up if we can. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.